Today, we're talking about how this Joe Jonas-Sophie Turner divorce has morphed into a straight-up smear campaign. We've got riptide rescues, people flashing other people from their apartments, others smearing planes and diarrhea, creator leagues now falling apart after that messy Mr. Beast launch scandal, prisoners are revolting, Alabama won't stop gerrymandering, and Wisconsin politicians are once again trying to undo the will of the people. We're going to talk about all that and so much more on today's brand new Philip DeFranco show, so buckle up, make sure you're subscribed, and let's just jump into it. Starting with, well, <laughs> this is a nightmare, a flight from Atlanta to Barcelona. Barcelona was forced to turn around two hours into the journey because we've had a passenger who had diarrhea all the way through the airplane. You had passengers saying it dribbled down the aisle and that they tried to cover up the smell with vanilla, but it just smelled like vanilla diarrhea. And while a lot of people have been like, wow, that would have just been a nightmare to be on that, to see that happen. I personally feel so bad for the diarrhea passenger. And not only did this happen, did you cover a plane in diarrhea? You then had to sit in it for two hours. And I can't even imagine the feeling of all those eyes on you, like people just going like, you ruined my vacation with your asshole. And then because everything and everyone are connected at all the time and people have phones in their pocket, this becomes national news. Top trending, front page shit. Yeah, it just sounds shitty for everyone involved. And then, in downtown Chicago, reportedly an old man is walking around his apartment naked every day and touching himself while looking at the women in the building across from him. But the police are saying that is his right and that he's not breaking the law. Right? In places like Chicago and New York, it's not uncommon for residents to be able to see their high-rise neighbors. And so most just put up curtains to avoid the awkward eye contact. But these women in Chicago's Streeterville neighborhood say this man across the street is naked in his own apartment 24-7 and that for 10 to 15 minutes a day, he touches himself in front of the window. With one woman even keeping a log of every time the man has been naked with at least 70 such instances in only 10 months. With the women even putting up signs in their windows asking him to stop and he didn't so they called the police several times now. And the police report saying the old man actually just waves to them when they see him and once he actually held up a sign saying come over. But ultimately the police saying they can't do anything because he's in the privacy of his own home. And so instead one of the ladies took matters into her own hands and confronted the old man in the lobby of his apartment. With him then agreeing to stop but then not long after he went back to flashing Chicago. And so you have the women saying this feels like sexual harassment but when WGN confirmed confronted the old man, he just said, put up some curtains. But with that said, what are your thoughts here? And then, in big celebrity, social media, and drama news, Joe Jonas is facing a ton of backlash right now. And it's all based on this absolute mess of news and narratives coming out of his split with Sophie Turner. Because there have been rumors for a few days, but the news finally broke yesterday that they are officially divorcing. You know, usually we don't cover celebrity divorces, like I don't really care. But there's been a ton of conversation around the specifics here that I do think that we need to talk about. Because we had TMZ saying that while Joe is seeking joint custody, the couple's two children are residing with him right now, and they have been for a while. And reportedly, as far as why Joe filed for divorce, one source reportedly told them, she likes to party, he likes to stay at home. They have very different lifestyles. And so with that and a number of the reports, you have a lot of people slamming this media narrative, with many thinking this is a blatant PR attempt to disparage Sophie and make her look like the bad parent amid the divorce. With people calling this an attempt to, quote, transparently throw your wife under the bus and start a misogynistic hate campaign against her once you start divorce proceedings. Others saying in the PR campaign, painting Sophie as a bad mom who loves to go out and drink while her virtuous husband stays home to watch the kids commences. And I think I'm supposed to gather from all the carefully placed headlines that she's a partier and thus a bad mom, while he is the hero dad making sacrifices. But no one seems to question why he, at 30, decided to marry a 23-year-old and thought she'd suddenly turn into a trad wife. Right there, we saw a lot of people bring up their age. He was 29, she was 23 when they got married. When they started dating, he was 27, she was 20. And so you have people saying things like, trying to paint her as a bad mother while he drinks on stage and parties himself? You're the one who married a girl in her early 20s as a 30-year-old. Like, what the fuck? She gave up her life in the UK to live with him and start a family, and now he's trying to 
to ruin her rep. Not on my watch. Others also just don't believe the Sophie parties too much line because in the past, the couple has repeatedly talked about what a homebody she is. Though with all this, notably while everyone else is fighting online, Joe and Sophie put out a statement seemingly trying to combat some of the backlash, with them both writing or at the very least posting on Instagram that this divorce is mutual and adding there are many speculative narratives as to why, but truly this is a united decision and we sincerely hope that everyone can respect our wishes for privacy for us and our children. Though notably in the hours since that post, we have more TMZ headlines that again, work to make Sophie look like the problem. And so it becomes this question of like, what is actually happening? Not necessarily in their marriage, right? That's their own private personal thing. But you know, are people right in assuming Joe Jonas's PR team just working overtime or is someone close to them actually leaking this information true or not? Or do you have these outlets just baselessly saying things because they're engagement farming? Or do they just want their chunk of flesh no matter who it hurts? Because that's also an important thing to remember. The people involved here are real people. They're not just celebrities. They are real people and there are kids involved. And so I will ask, what are your thoughts regarding how all of this has played out online? And then the Mr. Beast Creator League scandal just got a lot messier. We talked about the backlash and controversy earlier this week with a big esports tournament being put on by eFuse. Mr. Beast announcing it to 60 plus million people and counting in one of his videos even though he wasn't actually part of the tournament. Though there were plenty of other big names involved including iShow Speed, Bella Porch, Vinny Hacker, Dog VA, and OTK. In a with Creator League, people could buy Creator League community passes to interact with the tournament and join their favorite streamer's team. But then the backlash was incredibly swift when it got reported that these passes were actually secretly NFTs, which then resulted in many creators saying they had no clue NFTs or blockchain tech was involved in this. So you saw Dog VA dropping out, OTK also saying they had to look into the matter once the NFT news broke. You also saw Mr. Beast getting some heat, people saying he was misleadingly promoting NFTs. But the first big update here is that eFuse has since released a statement clarifying that yes, there is blockchain tech involved, but no, these passes are not NFTs, saying near blockchain is being used to validate data and log information relating to the community passes. All passes are purchased in USD and therefore no cryptocurrency is being purchased. Additionally, the company states a Creator League community passes are not considered NFTs nor a token launch because they had no transfer utility, which means there is no ability to resell. And Sean Pavel, the vice president of engineering for eViews, also saying we apologize for not intentionally disclosing the blockchain's limited use, but emphasizing there once again that the passes were not NFTs. So notably, this wasn't the only big issue happening behind the scenes over at eFuse. Because yesterday, you also had tons of employees saying they had been let go by the company. And the company even confirming to Xerto that it had laid off 30% of its workforce across several departments. And all of that coming with the news that Creator League has now been postponed as eFuse deals with some internal restructuring. With CEO Matthew Benson telling Forbes, we remain excited about the Creator League and will take some time to reflect on community feedback and refine its structure. As with all ambitious projects, the path toward innovation is winding. We're prepared to keep learning and pushing gaming forward. And now, anyone who purchased a Creator Community Pass can get a refund. Though the rest of the situation is kind of unclear, right? Did anyone else actually officially leave the league? Is everyone originally involved still going to be there? Is there going to be a slate of new creators? We'll have to wait to see. And then, if someone on the internet tells you to put something into your mouth, do not do it unless it's me hawking my new coffee. Because while our amazing roasts are smooth and delicious, other stuff might get you in the hospital. And as it turns out, the One Chip Challenge is no exception. Right back in August of 2022, the chip brand Pocky relaunched its promotion for the sixth year in a row, with it encouraging people to film themselves eating a single, individually wrapped, absurdly spicy tortilla chip seasoned with two of the world's hottest peppers, the Carolina Reaper and the Scorpion Chili Pepper. And then you're supposed to hold out as long as possible without drinking or eating anything to neutralize the pain. Keeping in mind, of course, that the package's warning label read, keep out of reach of children. You know, for the most part, people just had a good time kind of torturing themselves or the amusement of their audience or their friends. With creators and professional overreactors like iShow Speed taking part as well. It's not. 911, what's your emergency? Okay, breathe! <laughs> 
the same time, we've also seen cases of the challenge going wrong, especially with teens. Like in California, several students got sick after eating the chip, prompting the school district to warn parents about it. For examples like in Georgia, where paramedics had to treat a high school student who tried the challenge last November. Now, it's being reported that the chip may have actually taken its first life. And that's because reportedly in Massachusetts, a 14-year-old boy was given this chip by a classmate at his high school, causing him to have an intense stomachache. That prompting the nurse to send him home, where his brother later found him unconscious. So they end up rushing him to the ER, but there, he was pronounced dead. And so now, the Massachusetts medical examiner is performing an autopsy to determine the cause of death. So while there are a million reports out there, officially, it is still uncertain whether the chip was responsible. But you have the boy's family claiming it was the chip that killed him just hours later, saying that he was a healthy basketball player with no known allergies or preconditions. So now, not only are they sounding the alarm about this social media challenge, they're also calling for the chip to be removed from store shelves. With the National Capital Poison Center telling CBS that capsaicin, an ingredient in the chip, typically causes mouth and throat pain. But it can also lead to more serious issues like heart attacks and esophageal damage. So I guess while we wait to see the results of the autopsy, at the very least, I'll just say be safe out there. And then, lifeguards right now are having to work around the clock to rescue people up and down the East Coast from getting swallowed up by the Atlantic Ocean. Right? And that's because remnants of hurricanes Franklin and Idalia churned up especially powerful riptides that have been sucking people out to sea. And in fact, just over the holiday weekend, 14 people died in swimming and boating accidents, partly for that reason. And while luckily, many rescue efforts have brought people back in safely to shore, others have ended in tragedy. Like in New Jersey, lifeguards and beachgoers formed a human chain to try and save a swimmer caught in a riptide, but the person still drowned. And for Gabe McCabe, a man that was dragged out by a riptide off Long Beach Island on Sunday, he thought he was going to die too, with him telling ABC, I kept being pulled down and down and down. But then, lucky for him, Stephen Hauser, a teacher, surfer, and ex-Marine, saw him struggling to fight the current from atop his boogie board a distance away. And so Steve paddles over like an absolute bamf and saves this man's life. There you go. Right behind you, we're gonna ride this together. With him then making it back to shore, Gabe thanking him profusely and Steve later saying, There was no way in heck I was letting him go. And God, I got to him at, you know, the right time because I don't think he had much longer. Also, since we're on this topic, in case any of you actually find yourself stuck in a riptide, it's gonna be easier to say than do. The worst thing that you can do is panic and try and swim towards shore. That current will pull you out faster than you can swim. Instead, it's recommended you swim parallel to the shore or just wait it out until you naturally float out of the riptide. So boom, now you know, and statistically, one to three of you will now be saved from death and you'll owe me a favor. Thank you and you're welcome. And then, not everyone has the time or the desire to cook, but everyone loves good food. And eating out every night is so expensive. So imagine award-winning chef's meals delivered directly to your door. Because that's not wishful thinking. That's exactly what the sponsor of today's show, Cook Unity, does. Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you meal delivery service made up of a group of diversely talented chefs who believe that great food should be for everyone. I'm talking meals you'd find in restaurants delivered to you fully cooked and you just heat them up. Like, oh my gosh. The grilled Asian hanger steak was so tender and flavorful, not to mention how great the charred broccolini was. Like, hats off to Chef Stacy Barang for that one. Also, possibly my new favorite person, Chef Tony Perez. Thank you for the Parmesan chicken tenders my kids devoured. Like, I really don't want to undersell this. My life is now like 10 times easier when it comes to feeding the kids when I'm exhausted. And with an ever-changing menu, Cook Unity offers a range of meals to fit most dietary preferences, and the subscription is super flexible, making it easy to pause, skip weeks, or cancel at any time. And another cool thing about the service is that they text you a heads up before they deliver the meal, so you can be sure someone's around to accept them. So y'all just go to cookunity.com slash DeFranco or click the link in my description and use code DeFranco50 to get 50% off your first order of Cook Unity meals to try them out for yourself. And then prisoners are rebelling right now to keep from getting literally cooked alive at Minnesota's Stillwater Prison. But reportedly on Sunday morning, over 100 inmates refused to return to their cells from the area where they make phone calls and take showers and it caused the facility to go on lockdown. And that's because the heat has gotten just so intolerable that they couldn't survive it anymore with one of them explaining. It got to a point now where we decided 
take a piece of front stand and take a stand for our rights and say, listen, we ain't taking it no more. Where the prison sits about 25 miles east of Minneapolis, which was put under a heat advisory for temperatures nearing 100 degrees. And a key thing, Stillwater is one of nine prisons in Minnesota that still lack facility-wide air conditioning. And while these inmates have been dealing with the heat all summer, the past several days were especially bad because the prison is already short 50 officers and even more left for the holiday weekend. So to make up for that staffing shortage, inmates were then forced to stay in their cells for even longer periods without AC. And then to make the situation even worse, they claim that the drinking water isn't clean. So you have a spokesperson for them saying yesterday. The way that the guys um, have water is they take the ice from the ice machine and they take a sock and put it over a cup and they filter the ice water to try to collect some of the contaminations that's running through the pipes. This building here is 109 years old. We have officials saying the protest was resolved peacefully later that day and no injuries were reported. But as we've talked about recently on this show, prisons across the country are basically baking their inmates in triple digit temperatures. And climate change has just been making it worse every year. Right by one count, 44 states do not have air conditioning in all their prisons and 10 of them are in the South. And so it's very likely we're gonna see more of these protests coming, not just from advocates on the outside, but inmates on the inside as well. And then the war against Airbnb in New York City is officially underway. And that's because after city residents begged for years, New York City has officially started cracking down on short-term rentals. With as of yesterday, a new set of regulations called Local Law 18 going into effect and that heavily beefing up the city's existing rules. With one of the biggest changes being requiring short-term landlords to register with the city. As a city official saying, registration creates a clear path for hosts who follow the city's long-standing laws and protect travelers from illegal and unsafe accommodations while ending the proliferation of illegal short-term rentals. Other rules require that legal short-term rentals cannot host more than two people and that the host has to live inside the unit as well and be present when guests are there. Additionally, guests must have access to the entire home. And as far as the hosts who don't follow the rules, they could be slapped with between a $1,000 and $5,000 fine. And the city also planning to work with companies like Airbnb to make sure that hosts have a way of properly registering when listing their homes. And as expected, these changes have been met with mixed reactions. Most residents seemingly support the change and hope this is going to reduce noise along with rents, especially as it's actually expected that this is going to drastically reduce the number of short-term rentals available in New York City as hosts decide it's not worth the hassle. But at the same time, there's some concern that this could affect New York City's tourism. Although notably, though, those fears come from the most affected by this change, such as Airbnb, which is why it's not surprising to see their global policy director saying, New York City's new short-term rental rules are a blow to its tourism economy and the thousands of New Yorkers and small businesses in the outer boroughs who rely on home sharing and tourism dollars to help make ends meet, and saying the city is sending a clear message to millions of potential visitors who will now have fewer accommodation options when they visit New York City. You are not welcome. Which I gotta say, as someone that was born in New York, I hear them. I mean, tourism in New York didn't exist before Airbnb. Tourism didn't exist before locals were priced out of their apartments by people gobbling up apartments for rentals. I don't know, this just feels like crocodile tears. But hey, this is the Philip DeFranco Show. That's the story, some of my feelings on the topic, and now I pass the question off to you, whether you agree or disagree with me. What are your thoughts here? And then, if you don't listen to daddy, you get the paddle. And by daddy, I mean Supreme Court. And by you, I mean the Republican-controlled Alabama state legislature. And as far as why anyone would get the paddle, it's over this insanely ridiculous ongoing battle over Alabama. Alabama's congressional map, which really, at this point, should not still be ongoing. Right? As we've talked about before, the state was ordered to throw out and redraw its map after a federal court found that it discriminated against black voters, which notably was a decision that even the conservative majority on the Supreme Court upheld. And this after the GOP had drawn its congressional map, so just one of the state's seven districts had a black majority, despite the fact that nearly one in three voters in the state are black. And under the ruling, the GOP-controlled state legislature was directed to redraw the map, so at least two districts had a majority of black voters, or, quote, close to it. Like, they were essentially saying, just please fucking do the bare minimum. Minimum. But even that was too much for these fuckers in their state legislature, who forced through a map in July that increased the percentage of black voters in one congressional district from around 30% to almost 40%. You know how, like, when you go to dinner and you split the $100 bill with a friend and 
they're like, you know, I want to pay close to a majority. And then they pay $39. And you're like, that's closer to a third than half. And so unsurprisingly, this didn't fly. With a panel of three federal judges striking down this new map and absolutely tearing the Republican legislature a new asshole, writing in their decision, we are deeply troubled that the state enacted a map that the state readily admits does not provide the remedy we said federal law requires. And going on to accuse officials of failing to even nurture the ambition to provide the required remedy. And adding, we are not aware of any other case in which a state legislature faced with a federal court order declaring that its electoral plan unlawfully dilutes minority votes and requiring a plan that provides an additional opportunity district responded with a plan that the state concedes does not provide that district. And very, very notably here, the federal judges also took away the state legislature's power to redraw the congressional map. Instead, ordering that it be independently redrawn because Republicans have repeatedly shown they are clearly not capable or willing to follow simple legally binding directions. But unfortunately, that is not the end of this story because Alabama has already filed documents saying that it's going to appeal this latest decision to a federal court of appeals and the Supreme Court. The key thing, them asking the high court to put a pause on the ruling. But for now, I'll keep my eyes on this insane clown show and I'll let you know what happens when something happens. And then we got fun times here. Wisconsin Republicans are actively trying to undermine democracy again. And this time specifically, I'm talking about the completely bogus effort to impeach the state Supreme Court's new liberal justice, Janet Protasiewicz. And when I say totally bogus, I mean fucking incredibly bogus. This judge has not even made a single ruling yet. Right back in April, Protasiewicz won an insanely consequential and closely watched election that both Democrats and Republicans spent millions and millions of dollars on, making it the most expensive state judicial election ever. And that's because a ton was on the line, right? Whoever won that election would determine the ideological makeup of the state Supreme Court, meaning that voters were given the ability to flip the court's conservative majority to a liberal majority for the first time in 15 years. And not only did they choose to do that, they did it by a huge margin, with Protasiewicz winning by 11%, which in such a closely divided state is basically a landslide. But just a month after Protasiewicz was sworn into office, Republicans are trying to overturn the will of the people, with Republicans specifically taking issue with comments Protasiewicz made during her campaign about the state's electoral map, which she called rigged. And I mean, let's just call it straight. She's not wrong there. Wisconsin's electoral map is widely considered some of the most gerrymandered in America, period. I mean, we're talking about maps that have effectively locked in permanent Republican majorities. I mean, just look at the 2018 election. That year, Democrats won every single statewide race and over half of the statewide legislative vote. But the GOP because they had a gerrymandered map, was still able to hold 63 of the 99th state assembly districts. And after securing those seats because of their own gerrymandering, the Republicans in the legislature took it even further, drawing a new map that was even more favorable to their party following the 2020 census. So sounds pretty fucking rigged. But the Republicans who rigged those maps don't like it when you say they rigged the maps. So when liberal groups filed a legal challenge the day after Protasiewicz was sworn in, the GOP went full-blown crybaby and demanded that the new judge recuse herself from the case because of her past comments. And notably, if she did that, the gerrymandering case that could break up the GOP's monopoly that would likely face a 3-3 deadlock in the state Supreme Court. But when you look even further into this, the hypocrisy here is truly next level. Because there is literally precedent for conservative judges presiding over cases despite their public comments. Right? In recent years, conservative justices have argued they don't need to recuse themselves because of their personal views. With this even including a conservative justice on the Wisconsin Supreme Court who has compared homosexuality to bestiality, called Planned Parenthood a wicked organization, and wrote that Christianity is the correct religion and that insofar as others contradict it, they are wrong. And that judge saying those comments aren't grounds for him to recuse himself on cases that involve abortion, gay rights, or religion, and of course, Republicans didn't bat a fucking eye. But despite that, Republican leaders in Wisconsin are now unifying around the possibility of impeaching Protasiewicz if she doesn't recuse herself. Which, once again, highlights the issue with the gerrymandering. Because the Republicans have gerrymandered themselves so many seats in the legislature, they have the numbers to actually impeach and remove Protasiewicz. Right? Only a simple majority is required to impeach an official in the state assembly where Republicans have a 29-seat majority. And then, in order for that person to be convicted and removed, there needs to be a two-thirds majority in the Senate, which, again, Republicans have precisely 
nicely. Now, very notably here, just yesterday, Protosawitz released a letter from a judiciary disciplinary panel informing her that it had dismissed several complaints alleging her comments on gerrymandering violated the judicial code of ethics. While the decision definitely helps undercut the Republicans' attempt to impeach her over the same statements, it seems very unlikely that that alone is going to force them to back down. I mean, understand, we are talking about a situation that it's not rooted in fact or logic. This is clearly a blatant political power grab. And then let's talk about yesterday, today. We talked about a number of stories on yesterday's show that you can still check out now. But what absolutely took over the comment section was the debate around Taylor Swift, her movie, and all the backlash. With a number of current and former movie theater workers chiming in, saying the Eras Tour movie sounds like an actual nightmare, and saying we had to stop doing movie marathons at our cinema because people would take it too far, even bringing things like fireworks and setting them off. And as a movie theater manager, I'm wary about the Taylor Swift Eras Tour. Her fans were already out of pocket when the tickets went to sale. And some of the rude and pretentious phone calls we got were already a turnoff. I'm not a T-Swift fan, but my GM and a fellow manager are, and even they are wary about it. And saying the BTS Army literal teenagers weren't as crazy as some of these Swifties are. October is going to be a month from hell. And finally from this batch, someone saying they're horrified and these workers are going to be fucked over by people screaming, dancing, and losing their shit. Other patrons in theaters will complain. Some also referencing the BTS movie, saying as a BTS Army, when BTS released their concert at the movies, you had people who treated it as a concert. And saying the theaters should make sure that all of these individual theaters are next to one another. And several people making predictions like, I give the Eras movie 24 to 48 hours before every theater just closes it down and refuses to show it. It should really be streaming only. But there, I will say I very much disagree, at least on the uh, 24 to 48 hours part. No theater in their right mind is going to drop this movie. It is expected to bring in a crazy amount of money. And like many things in America and in this world, money trumps everything. I mean, we've even seen movies change their release date because Taylor announced her movie. But that's where I'm going to leave that. And also remember, any of the comments you leave on any of the stories that matter to you today might end up in this segment tomorrow. But that is where today's dive into the news is going to end. For more news you need to know, I got you covered here. You can click or tap or I got links in the description. And if you're all caught up, don't worry, because my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you right back here tomorrow.